Well, we're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you want to open to it, or if you have a Bible that you brought with us, we always love when you do that. And it's okay to make notes in your Bible. That's a good thing. So if you want to do that on each Sunday, we welcome that. Also, pull out your uh, outline for today because you want to follow along with that. The words will also be up on the screen. But I'm going to start, I'm going to dive right into Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So please follow along. This is a description of the disciples after the day of Pentecost and beyond the disciples, actually. Remember, last week we studied that 3,000 plus people were, were added to the disciples, were added as new believers on the day of Pentecost. So now this is... Um, a much larger group of people that we're talking about. And the question is, with all these new people, obviously with the, the 500 or so veterans of Christianity that were probably there, what do they do next? We're going to get the answer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Have you ever made um, a transition from someone directly guiding you? And, and maybe even promising with that guidance that there would be a day when he would go away and leave the work to you, but he would make sure to empower you fully for the job, and Jesus empowered them by promising them a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them. We celebrated that last week. But can you relate maybe to the apostles' feeling, even these newbie Christians' feeling of, now what? Jesus has ascended into heaven. We've had this miraculous day of Pentecost. What do we do now? And this is especially when we need to understand the canvas that God wants us to paint upon. And, and by canvas, I mean parameters. And there is no greater parameter or canvas for us as Christians even today to paint on than to understand God's purposes for our lives. They're going to form the boundary, the frame of the canvas that we paint on, just as reaching the lost with the love of Christ, amazing love's purpose gives us a canvas to paint on because it tells us what we're here about. And so we're going to get to see how they behaved in light of Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit delivered, they are fully empowered, and we're going to get to see them now find their purposes. And, and my prayer for all of us today is that we understand those purposes are actually eternal. The purposes that we're going to discover are not purposes for the 
first early Christians or even the first church alone in Jerusalem, these are five purposes, and I will defend this thesis today, five purposes that God in reality has established as where we are to go with our lives, a canvas that we're to paint upon as individual Christians, and when we come together as a church, as a congregation, as a family of believers. So let's dive in, and I want to start with just helping you see that this thing about purpose, it's everywhere. You realize, right, that Christians are not the only ones that talk about purpose. The great philosopher and theologian Oprah Winfrey talks about purpose. She says, I pray to be used in service to a greater purpose higher than my own. Can you relate to that? Of course you can. We all can. There is something inside of each of us, in our hearts, in our minds, that says there's something more than this life. There is a greater and higher purpose than just making money, putting food on the table, raising our kids day after day, going to games. Those are all wonderful things, by the way. I like to eat. You might like to eat, too. But they're not the higher purpose. You know, the Bible tells us God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And that means we naturally feel that there is a higher purpose and a higher calling to our lives. Oprah saw it. And in fact, a gentleman named Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner in a World War II camp and who, has, who was a psychologist and has written a lot about meaning and purpose, look at what he says about it. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. Just pause there for a second. Really? Because sometimes some of our circumstances might feel pretty unbearable, right? Well, remember, this guy went through a Nazi prisoner of war camp. Those are some circumstances to wrap your arms around. And when he came out, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Life. And in that book, he tells us it wasn't being a prisoner that robbed the steam from me, even in a Nazi prisoner of war camp, even though he was a Jew and under constant threat of death. Only by lack of meaning and purpose is life made unbearable. You see that what we're talking about today is so important what we're talking about today, I would wager to say, will save lives. Because if not in this room, meaning some of you might be not sure what the meaning and purpose of your life is, I hope you walk away knowing exactly what it is today. But also the people that you will communicate with for the last four weeks, the next step from the message was, CE4 class, a class about how to share the message of the gospel with your friends. If you better understand your God-given purposes in life, who might you help to understand that God has purpose and meaning for their life too? Who might you help to understand that life is not just about running the rat wheel, 
that there really is a direction, a purpose, a meaning to it. So I hope you'll listen carefully today, and I hope you will find a way. What I'm going to encourage you at the end of this message is, without changing your career, without sending your children out for adoption, without any big, what you might call just physical changes in your life, how you might begin to incorporate God's purposes into every corner of your life and thus change your life beyond recognition in a very, very positive way as you find meaning, the meaning that God wants you to have. So that's my hope for you today, my promise for you today. And we're going to start by simply saying, did you notice when I read Acts 2 how focused these first Christians were? Oh, they were extremely focused. The verb here means they were perseveringly focused. Like they were honed in on a few things and nothing could distract them, not, nothing could diminish their focus. It's amazing. Let's go back to verse 42. They devoted themselves. That's the word I'm talking about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the description of, of what they went and did after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Think about this huge group of Christians in Jerusalem. And in one sense, they were a huge group. They were probably meeting in the temple courts. In fact, we're told they were meeting in the temple courts as a large group, but they, are, they were also, we hear later on in the book of Acts, meeting from house to house in small groups. And when they did this, when they met, they were focused on three things. And he tells us right here, they focused on the apostles' teaching. They studied their Bibles. They studied what the apostles were saying about the Old Testament, about Jesus being the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises of a Messiah. They thought nothing of proclaiming again and again like we just did, Jesus is the Messiah. Because they devoted themselves to this book, the Bible. Secondly, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. They loved being around each other hanging together, supporting one another. And that was going to be needed because as we read on in the book of Acts, we're going to find out that the Christians pretty soon, pretty quickly come under persecution. We're going to find out that they needed each other. And then it says, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's likely a reference to the agape meal, which was a meal that the Christians had when they worshiped. It was a, a, a potluck fellowship meal designed to help bring people together as food does. And at the end of this agape feast, this meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is really saying they worshiped together. They heard the word like we do. They pray like we do. They received the Lord's Supper like we do. And they fellowship like we do. This is what they were focused on. And I... I want you to think about this because this is how it applies to us today. In the Gospels, we hear two stories, and it's kind of interesting to put these two stories side by side. So I want to show you 
the first of the two stories on this slide. Nope, two stories. There we go. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. They didn't get it. They, they couldn't figure out what God wanted them to do, why they were here, what meaning their life had, because they were focused on themselves. They were focused on how can we win God's love, win a relationship, win eternal life by what we do. And that focus on themselves robbed them of a focus on God and on finding God's purpose for them. And it points out a large part of that is because they didn't want to be baptized here by John the Baptist, but later by Jesus' followers. They didn't want to avail themselves of the beauty of the means of grace, the sacraments, the word. And so they wanted to invent their own purpose. How many times is that story part of our world's life today is, I want to make up my purpose instead of, I wonder what God's purposes for me are. But there's a different story. Let's go to the next slide. Now, when David, this is in the same book of Acts, later than we are, we're in Acts 2. This is Acts 13. Look at this description of David, a man after God's own heart. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and of course, until the great resurrection, his body decayed. David had served God's purpose in his own generation. Do you not hope? I think I might want that on my gravestone. And if not on my gravestone, I'm hoping this is what people will say. Not that I ignored God's purposes. Not that I never discovered God's purposes for my life. Not that I ever understood that my life has tremendous meaning because of God's redemption but that I served God's purpose in my generation the way David did in his. And this is what this message is all about. This is the goal of this message that all of us would long to hear words like this written about us, that we served God's purpose in our own generation. And I want, I, I want you to understand something about Bible interpretation here. Because Acts 2, 42 to 47 is not a prescription. It's a description. And in Bible interpretation, we always say what is described in the Bible is not always meant to be something that we do today. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Passover on an annual basis to celebrate that feast. And it's described over and over again in the Gospels, that he did that. Does that mean we are to go up to Jerusalem on an annual basis to celebrate the Passover today? No. And how do we know that? Because that's a description, not a prescription. And so what I'm asking is, Acts 2, 42 to 47, do you see that it's also a description? And when you see this in the Bible, when you're reading the Bible for yourself, I want to teach you that a description is not necessarily meant to be a prescription. 
We could be doing all kinds of wild and crazy things as Christians if we thought every description was a prescription. It's not. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, these things that the first Christians were doing, are they a prescription? Well, let's take a look at a couple verses and see. Let's look at John 8, 31, for example. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Is discipleship and getting around the apostles' teaching and Jesus' teaching something that Jesus prescribes to us? This verse would say, yes, it is. One of your purposes out of five in life is to deepen your faith in Jesus by studying his word and by receiving the sacraments. If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Though there's the prescription for purpose number one. Get deeper and deeper in your faith in Jesus through discipleship. What about the, the second one? Well, let's look at Ephesians 4, 2 to 6. Are we still to fellowship today? Well, Ephesians 4 says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look at that. Make every effort. In other words, in the immortal words of any football coach, bust your tails to fellowship with one another. Okay? There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Like There's every reason and basis for us to fellowship with one another. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Yes, fellowship is a prescription as well as a description. And then let's look at worship. Are we still meant to worship today? Well, Psalm 100 says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Sound like a prescription to you? Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The psalmist not only prescribes that we worship, but he tells us exactly why we should worship. Because we have a good God, a loving God, a kind God, a provider God, a protector God, a redeemer God. How can we not praise him, worship him, thank him? So here's your first answer, today's Christians are still to focus steadfastly on three core purposes, discipleship, fellowship, and worship. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this is what life is about. I want you to step back up on a balcony for just a moment and ask yourself honestly, what have I made my life about? And I'm sure there are as many answers as there are people in this auditorium. What have I made my life all about? The early Christians 
we're told in Acts 2, 42 to 47, said whatever else they had to do to make food happen, shelter happen, water happen, safety happen, they never lost focus. They were persistently focused as believers on growing deeper as disciples, on fellowshipping with their church family members, and with honoring and worshiping the Lord. Whatever else they had to do, they wove those three things into those things so that they were present everywhere in their hearts, in their minds, and in their lives. And that's the challenge for us today. That's the challenge I'm issuing to all of you today, to myself today. How can I weave more discipleship into everything I do? How can I embed more fellowship into my life? How can I turn my life so that everything I do, whether I eat or drink, or whatsoever I do, I bring glory to God? How can I do that? That's the question. And there's no, like, one answer to that, because we're all living different lives. It's the same for all of us, yet it's also different for all of us. So what I'm telling you is, it's a question that I want to challenge you to ask yourself, thinking about your home, your family, your job. How can I weave these three things into it? All right, let's go on to the next thing. The first Christians, the next thing we notice, were extravagantly generous. It's amazing. Take a look at, at what it says here. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So as they went around, they, and we'll see stories of that as early as next week, they were doing these amazing miracles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, you might want to ask how... <laughs> That's a lot. I wonder if most of us are ready to go quite that far. But these early Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit, appreciative of all the blessings that Jesus had for them, feeling safe not in their possessions or their checking account, but feeling safe in the Lord, said, I've got more than I need, and this other person doesn't have enough, and that's my brother, that's my sister. How can I share? How can I take what the Lord has given me and make it available to everyone? How could I do that? That's a great question for all of us. And how long did that continue? Well, it continued a while. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Extravagant generosity. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace, meaning their belief that God loved them even when they didn't deserve that love. It was so powerfully at work in them all that they were 
there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What that's telling us is that as they were discipled by studying the Word, as they gathered together in fellowship and got to know each other and understand each other's needs and gifts, as they continued to honor God for everything they had, including their salvation, something clicked in their minds. And it was a fourth purpose. And that fourth purpose was the realization that I am, as Jesus had said, like it was a realization that Jesus himself, the Son of God, had said, I'm not here to be served. In this new life in Christ, I am here to serve others with my time. We, we, we hear from the book of Acts that they were literally so generous even with the Lord and their time that they met daily in the temple courts. Like every day they went to church. wonder if we could get that today. Because I will tell you that today, time is probably the most important thing you think you have. That your time to you is more valuable than your money. For most of, us, most of us, it is. And these people were not just generous with their money, they were generous with their time. And they were generous with their talents and abilities. They were generous in every possible way to make sure no one among them had any need. Now, I will tell you, yes, this is a description of early Christians, but Christians throughout the generations, touched by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, touched by their redemption, have said things like Charles Spurgeon says, in all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. That's trusting that the Lord's got you. And the Lord does got you. Now, what Spurgeon says shouldn't be confused. This is not a promise that if I give everything away, I will become more healthy, more wealthy, and more prosperous. This is a promise that when I give myself away in service to others, God will find ways still to have my back, to take care of me, to provide for me and protect me. And some of that, and why not? that's even better in my book, may come to you in spiritual form. Some of that may come to you in emotional form as peace, a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Some of that may come to you, yes, in a physical form. But this is what Spurgeon says is, is not some formula for how to get rich. Take another look at what Spurgeon says. Go to the next one after this. Here's one I like even better. Same guy, Charles Spurgeon. God has a way of giving by the cartloads to those who give away by shovelfuls. 
And what I'm here to tell you is that is true. But it is not a promise to make you physically wealthy. It is a promise to make you spiritually wealthy, emotionally wealthy, mentally and rationally wealthy, and yes, sometimes, if God determines it, physically wealthy. There are physically wealthy people in the Bible, but that is not a promise to any of us about that. It's a promise to have a wealth that is beyond imagination, a wealth for your soul. And so be generous is the second thing. Serve others. Here's what I want you to write down. This leads to another gospel-inspired purpose. Here's our fourth purpose that God gives us in life. Not to be served, but to serve others. Now, all of this builds up like a mountain. And at the peak of the mountain is a fifth purpose. The fifth and final purpose. And this is what it's really all about is that we have been given this immense gift of Jesus so that we can go with Jesus. Remember the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here's what I want you to write down. The first Christians are described as being unable to contain themselves from sharing the reason for all their behaviors. Why were they so generous? Jesus. Why did they study the Bible all the time? Jesus. Why did they hang out so much with one another and enjoy each other's company and celebrate one another and protect one another and support one another? Jesus. Why did they worship in God's throne room, in the temple courts, from house to house? Who were they worshiping? Jesus. And so this is what happens. I'm just, look, this is a warning, right? Picture me as a big red flashing beacon up here. When, When God so fills you with His love, His grace... When God so fills you with his Holy Spirit, when God from his ascended throne in heaven says, I've got you, no matter what circumstances are going on in your life, the most natural thing in the world when you've been filled to the brim and God does not tip the pitcher of his love away from you, what are you going to do like any pitcher? You're going to be so filled with God's love, like this early Christians, that you're going to start overflowing with that love. And people are going to be curious, like, why are you like this? You're weird. I mean, in a good way, you're weird. And you know what your answer is going to be? Jesus. That's why I'm like this. I have a God who loves me, a father who provides and protects me, provides for and protects me. I have a son who's redeemed me from all my sins. I'm forgiven. I walk away. I don't have any, like, weight of guilt or shame anymore (laughs) because Jesus took it from me. He bled and died for it. I have power. I'm truly empowered by the Holy Spirit working through me 
through his word, you're not going to be able to contain yourself because when this happens, God takes off the lid so that you can overflow. Listen, listen to this description, verse 47. These people who were breaking bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts, that is, true hearts, were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Isn't this just exactly what Jesus had warned them would happen the way I'm warning you what's going to happen today? In the very first chapter of Acts, what does he tell them? You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell about me and my powerful and loving deeds here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And all that happens. Because why? <laughs> the same reason it's going to happen here. The disciples couldn't put a lid on it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they just kept walking around overflowing with Jesus and His love and salvation and forgiveness. And not just His love and salvation and forgiveness, but His challenge. His challenge to live a life that honors God, that worships God, engage in behaviors that honor God and worship God because you have been saved for not a purpose. You've been saved for five purposes. And the fourth and highest, the peak of all the purposes, you can write this down, is outreach. Overflowing, we might call it. So I want to put a picture up here. Here's my challenge to you. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these. I actually have a home version. It's not in this picture, but these are fun and challenging. The Christian life, I was asked the other day in our, our, our pastor coaching network, describe your work. And you know, we all had to write it down in like two or three words or less. And, and what I wrote down was a fun challenge. Being a pastor is challenging. I won't lie to you. But like any other challenge, when you've got the Lord with you, it can be a whole lot of fun. Your Christian life can be a whole lot of fun, and it will always be a challenge. There's a reason Jesus says, if you want to come after me, pick up your cross. But picking up your cross doesn't have to be a total drudgery all the time. It can be rough at times, but it can also be fun in the way that you hit a new personal record in the gym. Like, hey, this is cool. I'm doing something I haven't been strong enough to do before. And that's what I want for all of you. I think that's what all the leadership here at Amazing Love wants for you is that you take on the fun challenge of living your life according to the five purposes in balance. It will be challenging. It will be fun. But think about how can I drip these five purposes, which are not only my purposes. They are my purposes. They're yours. But ultimately, they're God's purposes for you. Let's take a, a moment and confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.